Hi, I'm Ann Faison, and this is Are We There Yet? Understanding Adolescent Grief. Today, I have Mark Lightcap on the show. Hey, Mark. Hi, Ann. Um, so I knew you pretty soon after I moved to LA in the early nineties and, um, seeing you play with a band, I think it was called King Fuck. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> no, I never, I never played with King Fuck. Oh, okay. Let's see. Who would I have seen you play? It was before well, Acetone. Spin Out, perhaps? Maybe it was Spin Out. Yeah. But I knew you pretty soon after I moved to LA in the early '90s, for sure. I know I saw you with um, the legendary band Astone more than once, um, and you played at our wedding with the wonderful Dick Slessig. But for folks who don't know, you are, um, to my mind, one of the great rock guitarists. And every time I've seen you play, um, that's just been reinforced for me. Um, I, I just bring this up not to brag about you, but because I do want to talk about music a little bit in this conversation. So I'll put a link in the show notes to some performances of yours so people can check it out. So I knew of you sort of before meeting you. And then I met you and your then girlfriend, now wife, Lisa. And I remember you guys as what I would have called back then a serious couple. <laughs> um, so I love that I've known you both for like 30 years or more. Um, but despite knowing you for so long, I was really surprised to learn the other night that you had an early loss when you were a teenager. So I'm super curious to find out about what that was like for you. So, um, so let's just start there. I think Lisa said you lost your best friend. Um, so tell us about your friend first and then maybe your friendship and how old you were when they died. And then the story as you think about it now. Um, yeah, sure. Well, uh, it was my friend, Jeff Lord, who, um, everyone knew was Gurf. Gurf. Um, so, uh. <laughs> Where did that come from? Uh, I think that came from his brother, Mark, um, because he spelled Jeff with a G-E-O-F-F spelling. And oh, it just okay. kind of morphed into Gurf for the <laughs> kids and it stuck like glue. So he was always Gurf. And it really suited him. Uh-huh, too. uh-huh. And let's see, we knew each other since we were kids, you know, our families went to the same church Mm -hmm. and then uh, we became, um, then we were in Boy Scouts together and we also both started playing music together at the same time. So he started playing bass, I started playing guitar and we had the same guitar teacher. Mm -hmm. Wait, Um, how old were you? Eighth grade at this point. And um, eighth or ninth grade uh, when when we started playing together. And we both got into punk rock together okay. at the same time. So, right. you know, and it was like suburban Philadelphia. So it was much, you know, it's a limited. Uh, what was it? What were you listening well, to? Well, it was the Ramones. <laughs> okay. All the Ramones and Sex Pistols. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, and, um, and so then we, and, you know, then Dead Kennedys and mm-hmm. like all them. Anyway, and so then, you know, we started a band and, uh, you know, just doing covers of like Ramones songs and, and also like punk rock covers of like classic rock and doo-wop songs because we were in okay. Philadelphia and doo-wop okay. was still right. on the radio all the time. <laughs> um, so like, you know, at the hop and stuff uh-huh. like that, just done, you know, in the style of Black Flag. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, we, so we quit, you know, we quit our guitar lessons and just were like, we screw this. We're just yeah. going to go be, you know, be a rock band instead. Right. And so then... Into this mix comes 
uh, our friend Dawn, who was who became Gert's girlfriend. Okay. And so, you know, so we were, you know, in general, our sort of like high, our group of like high school friends was like a small just group of for the weirdos mm. and like you know and just weird drug fiend the three you know. of you the three of you uh well it was there was an extended okay. group that sort of like dovetailed with like the town burnouts but we were oh, okay. like the weirdos and okay. uh so we were sort of this uh like group and you know it was just suburban philadelphia there's nothing to do but sit around the basement and smoke pot and play mm-hmm. music all the time so then Gurf gets diagnosed with lymphoma. And how old was he? Or how old he were was, you guys? I guess 17, mm. maybe. Mm. We, we were all still in high school. Wow. Yeah, but he was at, and at this point, he was just like total punk rocker, like, you know, just like the whole look, like, mm. you know, leather jacket, spiked mohawk, and like, yes. You know, so very much like a despised outsider in okay. the high school. Okay. And then when he gets cancer, everyone's like, oh, cancer boy, we're mm-hmm. so sorry for Gurf. And, you know, he was just like, fuck you. Like, you know, <laughs> and he had like, you know, painted like cancer core on the back of his jacket. And it was just like, you know, just totally like, I don't want your, mm-hmm, pity. your like plastic sympathy. You yeah. still hate you people. Right. You know, you're pretending to, you know, feel sorry for me. And so, you know, he went into chemotherapy and, and um, you know, and just got just laid waste by that process. Mm. And mm. Um, it was really brutal, you know, and, um, and we talked about it, you know, but I was also totally just freaked out and afraid of this yeah. whole thing. So, yeah. like, you know, wasn't visiting him in the hospital. And mm-hmm. Just like when he came out after his chemo, then we would just... right. Hang out and mm-hmm. sit around in his room and smoke weed and listen to the psychedelic furs. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, um, his condition was a lot worse than he was. Well, obviously, it was a lot worse than he was letting on to me. You know, at a certain point, they stopped doing chemo and they moved him over to radiation. So then his hair grew back. But it was still like, you know, we weren't like. You know, I wasn't getting the play-by-play of what the doctors were saying. Right. And so we were kind of, you know, at this point he graduated. And so he had taken a job, uh, you know, working in the cafeteria at Swarthmore College. Okay. Uh, where his mom worked and his brother had gone to school. And so there was very much a mm-hmm. connection there. And so we had our band, the Chocolate Crankshaft. Like, <laughs> the I Chocolate can, Crankshaft. I, I can send you a link. I've got yes. some, some of that stuff digitized. <laughs> Awesome. Um, so, <laughs> so we would play at Swarthmore at these parties. Oh, wow. Um, you know, we were like the weird towny like garage band. That, but you were still were in like, high school. I was still in high school. And then I, and then I graduated a year early. Okay. Um, so, you know, Gurf was working at Swarthmore and we were playing, you know, playing these shows and stuff and, and just kind of cruising along like, mm. you know. So you didn't want to go anywhere because you felt like his days were numbered or you just... No, I mean, I was I was planning on, you know, coming out to California, okay. but we were also... So there was that, you know, that was sort of like um, an underpinning to our friendship at that point, just because mm-hmm. I think he knew he was dying and I was sort of in 
you know, not as aware of sure. the, the true reality that he actually was dying. And you were like 17. I was 17, yeah, yeah. 17 maybe. Yeah. Pretty know. hard to get your head yeah, around exactly, that. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. Like, yeah, like I'd had like, you know, my two of my grandparents had died at that point mm-hmm. and my great-grandmother and my aunt Sarah. Okay. Anna. But, you know, no one, certainly right. no one in my Young, like, yeah. immediate sphere. And so we were just doing our thing like you know dawn was still in high school we'd just be hanging out in this weird little like um you know it was just kind of like a dingy basement but in a corner of the basement was this room mm-hmm. it was like the kind of like dank kind of paneled wow. rectangular windowless <laughs> enclosure with a tv and a musty <laughs> sofa in it. and that and was your practice bong, space you know and then no that's just where we sat around oh, and, okay. and like okay. stone watch tv the practice space was in my dingy basement. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, so that was just kind of like our, our reality, you know, like I think at, at the, at that point, like after I graduated, I'd taken a job, like I was working um, for the moving company, you know, just schlepping away, saving up money to go to CalArts. So, but also as part of this, like as Gurf was just laid out in his battle with cancer, Don and I, you know, had feelings for each other, mm. um, came to consummate those feelings, you mm. know, because, um, and she really loved Gurf. She and Gurf were yeah. really in love with each other. We all loved it. Like, we were yeah. just this, like, but, um, also being teenagers, you know, sure. like hormones are crackling. So, <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, Don and I, had, you know, had right. started down that road and Gurf was okay with it because he was so, he was, it was very open, you know, and he was wow. just, and he just knew that, you know, he's just like, I'm you know, yeah. like this wasted mm-hmm. organism right now. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, and then one day, just as like a normal day, like, you know, I finished up work or whatever and was going over to Dawn's house and the three of us were just going to do our usual thing. And there's just nobody there. The door was open to the house and like empty house. There are no cell phones, obviously, right. you know, so it's it kind of there for like a long time, just... Mm un uh you know uncertain of what was going on but weirdly aware that something was going on mm-hmm. and eventually you know don just comes home and with the news that Gurf died mm. like he he'd come over to her house and just like collapsed oh. and like called the ambulance went to the hospital and and died wow and it was just like that, out of the blue, like just shock and awe, and just you just don't even know what to think, what to do. And so this is where the details get really weird and foggy because I I feel like I didn't even go home. Like we and and I cross checked like some timeline stuff with her because we just went to the shore. Like it was, you know. We're just like, we have to go someplace. The Jersey Shore? The Jersey Shore. Yeah. Because that's where one goes. Yeah. So how how long, how far was that? <laughs> Traveling by car, it's only like an hour. Okay. Um, so we went uh, with our friend Paul, who was, had to go down there to work because he worked in a restaurant in Sea Isle City. And so we, and this is the part that I totally blocked out until yeah. she reminded me of it, that we went and stayed at his parents' house in Seattle City. Like my memory of this is just like being in Wildwood in the off season and just wandering like bleak mm. off season Jersey Shore. What time of the year? 
It was like autumn, but I'm not sure exactly. Yeah. It definitely wasn't summer. I don't even know how long we were there, but we just like went. You know, there's no normal right. now. Like right. we, we have to go do something. Do something to just realize this thing. And then we decided to come home because we were, you know, being at the Jersey Shore wasn't <laughs> solving any of our problems. <laughs> so we, uh, so we got on the bus. We took the, took the bus home, and this is this. It's really interesting because this is where Dawn's memory becomes like non-existent mm. practically, and my memory is really vivid. And we didn't have any money, so we took the local bus, and um, it was just this, you know stopping in every <laughs> crap corner in south jersey wow. you know but i can just picture being on this bus so vividly and then some other guy on the bus was like freaking out that his snickers bar had disappeared <laughs> and then it like re- had reappeared on like a seat like three seats away and it was this whole like hullabaloo on the bus and don and i were just like cracking up like thinking that this was like girth just like mm. pranking us trying to get a laugh mm-hmm. and uh which worked. I think we were cracking up. <laughs> um, and then eventually, you know, so then I can't remember what the time lapse was there, but, you know, so Gurf, you know, like I said, he knew. So we were in, when we were in Boy Scouts together, mm-hmm. we'd taken this backpacking trip to this place in the Adirondacks called Cat Mountain. It was really amazing, amazing trip. And we loved it. And it was like our favorite place. <laughs> so Gurf's uh, wish was for us to drag his body to the top of Cat Mountain where it could rot <laughs> and be picked apart by crows and birds. And, uh, you know, and his parents were really into that. <laughs> and we were like, well, dude, like, you know, sorry, but it's illegal. And yeah. we're just not going to drag your, right. your ass up there. Um, but, you know, we... We did take his ashes up, and it's you know it's a it's like a serious trip to get there on foot. Okay. And we went with it was Don and myself and his brother Mark and um, our friend Scott, who's like Gert's best friend from childhood, and mm. uh, and his dad. Mm. And uh, it was a really amazing, amazing trip. And, you know, just time to grieve and just to be together. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And then we got up to the top of the mountain and the time came to, you know, dump the ashes out, which none of us had ever done before. <laughs> There's, these which, are always good stories. I know. And they're just so, <laughs> and, uh, you know, so his dad had the box and took the box out and just dumped it. And, you know, it looks exactly like kitty litter. Yeah. <laughs> and we just busted out laughing. It was just like, oh my God, there's Gurf reduced oh, to being God. a box of kitty litter. <laughs> And it was hysterical. Wow. And, uh, and, but also just an amazing moment of, mm. you know, just um, levity, but also acknowledging just, you know, I don't know, just really feeling him. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, and then like a year, the next year, Don and I went back mm-hmm. up to the same spot. And it was mm-hmm. amazing because you could just pick out like bone fragments oh, amongst wow, the still. gravel at wow. the top of the mountain. Which uh, sounds kind of morbid, but I actually found it to be very Pretty comforting. Cool. You yeah, know, and thought and knew that he would really dig too. That's kind of know. amazing that his parents were happy to do that. He, well, his dad, his dad was like a scout leader in our troop. And oh, okay. He, and he was, he was, he was definitely like the cool dad okay. leader in the scout troop that okay. had a really good sense of humor. That, and, and then mom didn't want to. She didn't. Come. No, that wasn't her her bag. Okay. Um, 
What so. was your uh, relationship with his family before he died and then after? Well, I, I moved to California not too long okay. after, so so we didn't really, you know, stay, stay in touch. touch. Okay, too much. I mean, you know, Mark was um, yeah, you know, he's much older than us. Um, but I've you know recently gotten back in contact with that's him. the brother yeah mm-hmm. there was just kind of a diaspora you know i mean i moved out here don and i split up we sort of drifted apart and you know my ties to yeah you know it just that it just whole kind thing. of like yeah mm-hmm. just kind of but before he died were they pretty good your relationship with his family oh, yeah. did you know his parents pretty oh, well yeah 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 very well mm-hmm because you hung out there. We and... hung out there all the time. And, and, you know, we were friends since we were kids. And, you know, his parents were lovely. So, I mean, I imagine after he was diagnosed that you, I don't know, somehow, like, had more of a relationship with his parents or something? or Yeah, I mean, it was, you know, it was not... We certainly didn't talk about it with his parents in a... Right. You know, we were very much in our, like, yeah. teenage world of... Yeah. isolation and um you know striving for independence but i'm sure it must have changed the friendship a little bit yeah it was weird i mean like like i said like i you know there was that element of it where i was freaked out by the reality of it that you know there's a you know denial like, yeah yeah healthy um, denial <laughs> maybe not healthy but i think yeah, of it as healthy because was... i think i mean i i just i think denial gets a bad rap yeah and i think for teenagers in particular it's really important for letting you take your time with understanding something and you want to just be able to like keep on living too yeah. like you don't want the whole you know your whole world to revolve around right cancer Right. You know, so we would joke about it and make light of it. Mm-hmm. And um, and I think in the joking and making light of it, you know, like there's the opportunity to also feel like, oh, this isn't really going to kill him. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah. Um, A little denial about that. Yeah. Sure. Um, plus, you know, I mean, you don't until you've lost someone that's really close to you. You just there's no way you can know what it's right. like. I mean, it's that's it's such a. It's such an essential part of life, but you didn't never know what it's like until. Yeah, and it and honestly, so most people don't really have a loss, a major loss at such a young age as you did. And I mean, I think it is um, really interesting. That's why I do this podcast because I think it's really interesting to think about how it affects a kind of a young person going forward. So. Um, did you feel sort of supported in that by your own parents? I mean, I was old enough, you know, I may have even been 18 mm-hmm. at that point. Mm-hmm. So, and we just were not really communicating. I was just like, I'm out of here. Okay. I'm done with this. So there was no, you know, they were very distraught because they, you know, they loved Gerf yeah. as well. And, you know, they certainly didn't encroach on my grieving at all i mean right. I, feel, I feel like don and i were just like we're out of here like I'll, I'll call you know i'll see you when i see you i gotta go process this right so in that regard and also with this backpacking trip i described i mean i really it was for me like a still a model of of how to process that stuff like we, there was no stuffing it down mm. or denial like we were just together in it and just like feeling it 
and and just climbing around, and just <laughs> climbing around in it. And yeah, I feel like we got through it in a really, you know, in as healthy a way as mm. you possibly could. That yeah. really, um, for me, kind of set a set a pattern for future. Okay. You know, and this is something I've kind of reflected on a mm. lot over the years. Like when someone dies, you know, it's just, it's like this window that opens up mm. and same as when, you know, a child is born. It's mm-hmm. like this window into the, of the cosmos yeah. where it like opens up, a life comes in, life goes out. Right. And when that window's open, you have this opportunity to really experience it. And it's not open for that long. And when it's closed, then you're just stuck with like trying to simulate it somehow in your or model it in your brain, you mm-hmm. know, because I've had it both ways of just like being there in the moment, you know, like you get the news and it's like, fuck it, we're going to the shore and now mm-hmm. we're not coming back until we're ready to and it's going to be a sad fucking bus ride, you know, <laughs> <laughs> with a disappearing Snickers bar and it's, you know, and yeah. um. You know, and then I've had been in situations where I've just gotten the news that someone that I loved had died and not been in a position where I can process it, you know, and that moment of getting the news and feeling the wave of of realization that once you've lost a few people, it becomes kind of a yeah, familiar trod path, you know, right. Just had having this experience of like shit. I can't deal with this right now because I have to do this other thing. I'll come back to this, right? And then you go to come back to it, and it's just not there anymore. And so you the wind window up with this, has like, kind the of window closed, is closed mm. and you're just stuck with this like unrealized mm. loss mm. that just kind of impacts itself. It's I, been... I feel like you're talking about something that's so specific to being a teenager. There's a time in your life, in our lives, when the, there's a, a a kind of like golden spontaneity. Like, let's we're just fucking going to the, you know, fuck our jobs or whatever we have going right. on. We're just going to go to the shore. We don't care. It's not planned. Da, da, da. That we can't really do as responsible adults with jobs right. and kids and what have you. Right. But I love that you're talking about that in terms of like, this window of grief that's sort of special and and magical and you want to just sort of be in it. I love that. I mean, I certainly didn't have that with my mother. (laughs) (laughs) But with a friend, I could see how it would make more sense to be like, you're having so much feeling and you just want to kind of be in that intense feeling with another friend who's also feeling it. It would have been completely different if I'd been alone with that. I mean, but the fact that you know, exactly. I wasn't alone. Like I was with someone that was really feeling yeah. the exact same thing. Yeah. You know. And I feel like that is kind of an ideal of grief is when you can grieve with someone who's feeling the same feelings as you are. It's so unique and special. And, you yeah. know, and, and, and you're right. We don't get that many opportunities to yeah. do that. Was there a response by the school? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. Do you remember like what people did? Were there any teachers that stood out to you as like? I can't remember what was done in the way of sort of acknowledgement or commemoration. Mm -hmm. We were totally contemptuous of it all. I was just going to say like, like, 
like I'm curious how the kind of community responded. Yeah. Or, but I imagine as teenagers, especially punk teenagers, you were just like, fuck yeah. you. Yeah, it was very petulant. <laughs> yeah. And like, you know, and with complete disregard for genuine feelings that right. other people may have had. That like, right. okay, maybe they aren't all... Mm-hmm. you know just as horrible as you make them out to be they have a right to they're feeling something too here, sure you know but you guys had kind of ironed out this um identity as being outcasts or like yeah. apart from yes. the yeah okay we've talked about like the immediacy of that grief but like then how did it sort of play out you said you moved to california and yeah. did you feel like you found ways to deal with the grief over the years or did you talk about it did you avoid it like what was yeah no I I I always felt very free to Mm. talk about it like Mm -hmm. I felt like um you know that just my love for him and just Mm. the beauty of our friendship you know was all all very available and I never felt weird or Mm -hmm. like it was something to turn away from Mm -hmm. you know I mean it was the I think the the grief of the moment was also, um, you know, it was also kind of compounded by this, you know, this sense of like leaving this part of my life behind and moving out West and, you know, ditching Dawn and all the stuff back there, all my friends, you know, just, you know, that's a heavy mm-hmm. thing, you mm-hmm. know? And so, uh, did you have the idea to go to California before he died? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, I just really wanted to get out of mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And did you, <laughs> did you have a feeling at all? Because I've talked to so many people who went to college after a big loss, um, like of getting away from it. It doesn't sound like it. It sounds like you carried it with you. You weren't like running away. Yeah, from no, it. that that yeah. wasn't the thing that I was running away from. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I was running. It was more the you know just the whole trying a new cultural yeah. milieu. Of, yeah. I mean, you know, well, you grew up in 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 New York City, so yeah. you, it's a different. No, I was, dying to, suburban Philadelphia. I was dying to get out of New York for whatever reason yeah. I, I needed to get out of New York. Um, yeah. And you felt like sunshine and. Yeah. Just adventure and yeah. like something, you know, yeah. And open space. Yeah. And um, it's interesting because I've talked to my mother about this like mm. recently, like now looking at that through a parent's eyes yeah. and, you know, and imagining how she must have felt, you know, watching me just like pile all my crap into a u-haul and just like back out the driveway and never come back like at age 18 right like must have been heartbreaking like you know i can imagine it now that you Um, have your own kid yeah uh, have my own kid but we can uh i mean i was way more of a dick than my son so um so it might have been you know a mixed blessing for her but yeah how do you think how so how do you think that the your grief and the death of your friend like affected your perspective on life and death at that age. I mean, it's an early time to learn that sort yeah. of truth that people do die. Yeah. Um, did it change you in other ways that you're aware of too? I think so. I mean, I think um, you know it. Um, yeah, this you know this could happen at any time mm-hmm. in life. People just die all the time, yeah. and it could be you. Mm-hmm. It could happen. You know, yeah. You know, I've had enough like you know, kind of weird near-death experiences Mm. like to also like realize that like you know and so um it's all it was all i don't know i I feel like your whole life is you're preparing to die or at least Mm. you should be Mm. not in a 
way that like cripples you but like you know it's a good lesson to learn Mm -hmm. really early i Mm -hmm. think you know um like when my father died you know the whole family was there and and i was you know stanley was like too young to i mean what he would have been he was like seven yeah you know but it was super important for him to be there both to like for him to be with my dad but also it's like well this is you know i think it was a very um positive experience for him in terms of a complete view of what yeah you know because the thing i came away with with that situation after having lost a lot of people in the Mm -hmm. interim Mm -hmm. you know both like friends and peers and um a lot of suicide you know with my dad it was the first time that it was i really was just full of this sense of like that this is completely okay you know it's sad and brutal and of course as living beings we're hardwired to just like claw at life yeah. till the very end and just like desperately like try to stay alive to yeah. the end because that's how life persists yeah. you know but zooming back and taking the long view like you're gonna die mm-hmm. everything's gonna die yeah like we really should be better at this by now than mm-hmm. we are <laughs> like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um and it's all fine yeah you know yeah I, I I promised I would ask you about music. Um, and I just wonder if you feel like playing music or listening to music helped you through some of the tougher phases of that earlier time. And like, are there, if there are certain like songs or bands that remind you of that, you know, your first sort of dance with grief or hmm. is there any music you avoid listening to? No, interestingly, not mm-hmm. someone that's like as like music centric as mm-hmm. I am like you know I mean the, the music I associate with my time with GERF is like fresh fruit for rotting vegetables and, <laughs> Kennedy's and like yeah and of course whenever I hear like Ramones like yeah. you know it's like it always just makes me think about him mm-hmm. in a joyous way mm. um, but in terms of music that you know connects more to the, that feeling of grief yeah. like the music connects to the you know just the the opposite of grief of just mm-hmm. like the, the joy Part of I know. I mean, so that. I, you know, my, the book I wrote is, is really about how music kind of helps the main character kind of get through her grief. I mean, did you ever feel like playing music was really helpful to you as a, you know, just processing feelings? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Like, how do you think about that? Well, I don't know. There's a few different aspects to that like as a tuba player Mm -hmm. um i i forgot you played tuba. yeah so there's that aspect of tuba playing that's really you know well it's obviously connected to your breath and it's it's like a very um, meditative you know whereas guitar playing is way more like cerebral yeah yeah you know um whereas tuba playing it's really you know you play the tuba you know you really have to just commit and mm. it also provides an opportunity to just focus and get into this zone that's just uh powerful mm. and cleansing mm. um i've kind of you know and over the years i've just become more engaged with that as part of like as like one of the perks of being a tuba player uh-huh. you know instead of like oh i gotta sit down and practice now you right know, it's like now i'm just gonna like zen out zen, zen out on this <laughs> um but like in like writing songs and playing the guitar and singing like that I've always had 
that like feeling of uh of like beautiful sadness very mm. available to me like almost too available and whether that's like a conscious way of you know it, it hasn't it's what's not conscious you know it's just a thing that's in my psyche that that is just right there for the, yeah for the plucking when I'm, yeah when i'm playing mm. so uh you know i can't say that i've you know conscious you know consciously employed it as like a as a processing tool but it's just right. part of the i know what you mean mix. i i always felt like writing songs i was it was so easy for me to write sad songs i was like i got this <laughs> <laughs> yeah 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 i'll make you cry with yeah. this guitar solo i swear to god yeah writing a happy song <laughs> a little harder a little more challenging yeah um Okay, so you've you've kind of touched on this, but how do you think that early loss of your friend like affected your experience of a subsequent losses? Like, I know you lost obviously your bandmate Richie Lee when you were in your thirties, yeah, and then the artist Mike Kelly when you who you were working for at the time of his death. Yeah. And do you feel like that early loss kind of equipped you in some ways? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And before that, you know, there was my friend Randy Hostetler who oh, was. Okay. Um, friend from CalArts okay. who's like a, a musical genius and mm. just an amazing you know just one of those dudes that like broke the mold when mm. he was born like just mm. such an amazing freak of wow. nature and uh just um and so when we similar to Gurf in terms of like this happening in this like transitional part in your life like you know Randy and I became friends at CalArts and we were like collaborators on projects and then we got out of cal arts and we were in that situation of like well what do we do with like we're like composers what do we do with this weird music that we make and so we started doing this like living room concerts at okay. his house which we did for like you know for a couple of years and mm. uh and it sort of like expanded out into the world and became a whole thing and it was uh and they were really great. And that was right when, like, you know, I was starting to get, like, traction as a rock and roll musician. Mm -hmm. So I was sort of peeling off in that direction. So our activities in the Living Room series kind of fizzled out. And we both, like, went our own ways. And and also he split up with his girlfriend and moved out of the house where he did the concerts. And then we, you know, Lisa and I moved into our house in Highland Park. And I was like, I was going to, you know, call Randy up and, like, be dude, we got to get the band together. <laughs> and, um, and he just died like all of a sudden from this crazy, like stomach bug. Mm. That he got like out of the blue, wow. like just struck dead, mm. like prime of life. Like, mm. and, um, and so that was the, the next big one. Wow. So you lost a lot of friends. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And, um, but that was, but I was prepared for that you know it was like I was able you know after going through the thing with Gurf I was I was like okay well I know what this yeah. feels like yeah and I'm gonna feel it again yeah but also grateful to have that pathway available to not have to like get over that initial hump of right. like your mind yeah being completely blown and there's a there's a horror to that familiarity too of just like all right here we are but also just you know kind of empowering in a way just to be able to like cut to the chase yeah of like this is okay i'm gonna feel this now it's i almost, know how to do this yeah, yeah i almost feel like it's, it's like having your feet 
steady. You've got your sea legs. You know, <laughs> yeah. you're like, okay, I know what this is. I know what I'm right. in for. Right. Yeah. And do you think that's affected at all you as a parent of someone who's a teenager now, like that, that you had that experience? Did you think about that in terms of Stanley, in terms of how you talked to him about death or? Oh, yeah. Ab- yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Like, how do you? Well, especially because we're not religious people, so we don't have that fallback of like, right. a, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's challenging because it's, you know, having to be so present in my, um, you know, in my mind, it's always a thing of like, how much, how much can you, like, how much should you share at what Mm -hmm. time with them? Like, what are they ready for? Yeah. And they've, you know, you don't want to like lay this whole trip on them. That's going to like throw them for a loop and they're going to have their own experience of life. Right. So it's, you know, I mean, when I was telling that story in a restaurant the other night, the story of your friend. The story died. of the yeah, the mm-hmm. Gurf saga, mm-hmm. and and uh, and I could tell he was, you know, because I don't think he's ever seen me like break down like that mm. before. And uh, he wasn't like freaked out, but it was like really like a raw, raw yeah. moment, you know. I've totally laid that trip on him. <laughs> I, hope, I hope it's for the best. I don't know. You know, no, we do the best we can. <laughs> I think it's great for him to see you in that state, and also to know like. Oh, yeah, my dad had this experience like that. It does affect, you know, it affects us as parents. So, And I think kids are always fascinated with deaths, really fascinated. Oh, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. the more we can talk about it with them, I think the better. Well, and, you know, he, he'd heard about it his whole life, you know, because yeah. it's like talking about the band, you mm-hmm. know, and it and it was it almost felt like every, you know, he got really interested in music pretty early on. Yeah, and right. so being like a rock and roll fan, it's always like, oh, what... You know, whatever happened to, you know, what's this and that? And, you know, for every question, it's like, well, they're dead now. Yeah. Like, they're dead now. <laughs> and, uh, you know, and I remember when he was younger, like, it would be this, his first question would be like, is so-and-so still alive? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, so-and-so, so-and-so. <laughs> so, you know, the, he's just, I don't know. I, yeah. I think he's he's kind of in good shape as far as processing that stuff and i think it is great for him to see dad mm-hmm. just like lose his shit in a restaurant like yeah. with grief from yeah. something that happened 40 years ago you know yeah i think um, that's awesome got it. i just want to thank you so much for coming yeah, on the no, podcast totally. and sharing your story it's awesome it's my first story about friend loss which i think is really important for teenagers so i really appreciate it thank you for inviting me in <laughs> So thanks for listening, and if you stick around, you're in for a treat. I'm going to stick in a little um, recording of Chocolate Crankshaft, um, Mark's band with his friend Gurf, um, coming up in just a second. So um, don't forget to rate and review on Apple Podcasts or leave a comment on my Substack, and check out the show notes for more links and information. And thanks, as always, to Josephine Wiggs for the intro and outro music. It's from her album, We Fall.